It's not just a game, it's not just a grass. Lawn Solutions Australia is the exclusive home of Australia's best sports turf varieties. For the world's best grasses like Tiff Tough Hybrid Bermuda and Sir Grange Zoysia, contact Lawn Solutions Australia at lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of The Thing About Golf, Golf Australia Magazine's ongoing mission to answer that eternal question, just what draws people to this extraordinary game? Rod Murray's my name and I'm joined on the line by my colleague John Huggin, who's host of this this episode. Huggy, welcome. A little bit of a departure for you in episode 76. Normally, you bring more high-profile guests, but this is a chat with not only a golf figure, but a personal friend. Tell us a little bit about Lindsay Garden. Uh, well, I've known Lindsay um, a long, long time, uh, over four, over 30 years probably. Um, she played in the Scottish ladies amateur team uh, back in the day with uh, with alongside the former Mrs. Huggin, um, who actually they played each other in the final of the Scottish ladies sometime in the late 80s. Um, that's the only time I ever got my name on a national championship trophy. <laughs> Is, uh, when, when my wife won. You had to but, donate um, it to somebody else, Huggy, to get it on yeah. something important. Lovely, yes. But, uh, but yeah, Lindsay, uh, and then she went off, um, fascinatingly, for especially for, uh, hopefully, for um, Australian listeners to this, um, she went off and caddied on the European tour for three or four years and ended up working for Radar Riley, now of Sky Sports, but back then a tour player. And she was actually on the bag when uh, Radar won the Australian Open, which is one of famously the holding that massive putt on the last green. She was she was the one carrying his bag. That's right, and it's, it's a fabulous story to listen to her tell because it is one of the more memorable Australian Opens. You had, of course, Robert Allenby as an amateur doing extraordinary things. It was an, quite a remarkable time in golf, and Allenby nearly uh, nearly got the job done. When she went to do that, Huggy, there would not have been many women caddies, I wouldn't imagine, on the European tour. No, no. I think um, I think she had a long talk with her father. I think at the time to, before he was uh, keen to let her go. But uh, yeah, I think she, you know, she had a great time. She's now she's now married to uh, a guy I was at uh, university with, uh, John Garden, um, and more recently, far more recently, uh, Lindsay is now one of the first women members of the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers at Muirfield, and she played as a as a marker at the women's. Open British Women's Open this year, when they had an odd number of people made the cut, she played in the third round and the fourth round as a marker, which is just extraordinary. So she's been a part of some pretty important bits of history there, hasn't she? Because that mm. Muirfield Open will be seen, I think, in in years to come as a bit of a watershed moment. We know the controversy about Muirfield and women members uh, to be one of those members and then to get a start and to 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 play in the last two rounds of an Open, even not as a competitor. That's a that's a remarkable. You could not ever look forward in your life and see that happening, could you? Uh, no, I mean, I grew up um, quite close to Muirfield and I had a fair bit of experience of going there and playing there and that seemed a long way off, not that long ago, but um, they've made great strides, give them credit. Um, Absolutely. They've done it the right way, they've got about 20, they're going to have about 25 women um, very soon, I think. Um, other clubs haven't been quite so, um, haven't quite played so fairly, uh, but the honor company, I think they deserve some credit. For once in their lives, um, they, uh, they've done it the right way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, caddies often have the best stories to tell, Huggy. Women in golf always have interesting stories to tell, and this is a fascinating chat. So thanks for joining us today and looking forward to having a listen. My pleasure. 
Okay, welcome to the latest edition of the Thing About Golf podcast. Uh, my guest this time around is uh, a little bit different in, in my experience in this podcast. Is an old friend of mine, um, carried me around in a few mixed foursomes uh, back in the day when I could play a little bit. Lindsay Anderson, it was, Lindsay Garden, now. I still think of you as Lindsay Anderson, I'm afraid. Welcome to the podcast, and uh, the first question is always the same. What was the thing about golf for you? Thank you, John. So the thing about golf for me at the very, very start was my dad played, my brother played, I was going to play. So that that's how it started. Um, an older brother. Yes. Right. Yeah, two years older than me. Um, he played, my dad played. So if it was good enough for them, it was good enough for me. And I think probably now the thing about golf is, you know, here I'm sitting with you, John, as you say, um, old friend. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like the word old, but that's, that's <laughs> well, the way I'm it old. is. Well, <laughs> We both are. Yeah. Um, is, is friendship. Um, made so many great friends over the years that, you know, you still see, keep in touch with. And, you know, what, what a great game that we can still... Okay, the golf maybe doesn't look quite the same as it did back when we were a bit better, but it's mm. but it's still the same game that we're playing, yeah. um, and that's that's really really special. Yeah, I know you're from uh, Tain in the Highlands of Scotland, which is uh, up there, shall we say? I mean, a wee bit out the way. Um, but was there any kind of discrimination? Is a strong word, but did, how did you find being a, a wee girl playing golf? And, and obviously having some talent at it, which we'll get to in a minute. I mean, how did that, how did you fit in that world, if you like? Yeah. So, so no discrimination whatsoever up, up in the Highlands. Mm -hmm. Um, other than, um, <laughs> let me for saying it, my dad, I, I suppose, because he, you know, he, he worked all week and enjoyed going off, um, playing golf. The business um, that he had was a local business and, and they used to have half day closures back then yeah. on a Thursday. So he yeah. played golf on a Thursday afternoon. He played golf on a, fr on a Sunday. And, um, that's, that's what he did. And that was his time. And it was, it was mostly men, I suppose, yeah. that, yeah. that played. Um, and there were definitely women. Um, I, I think the women that played at time were, were quite, um, formidable, shall we say? Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. And yeah. so, Dad just kind of thought, no, you know, it's it's not for you. You know, that's that's the yeah. way these women are. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that yeah. don't see you fitting mm. into that. Anyway, he did. He conceded and he said, right, okay, well, if you really properly stick at this and you get to a point where you never, as we called fresh air, so miss the ball, um, I will consider it. So our house backed on to the school playing fields, and I spent. Um, I think when I was 11, I spent that summer battling an old kind of hickory type club up right. and down yeah. the school playing fields. And then I came home and I said, right, that's it. I'm ready. No fresh air. And mm -hmm. he said, okay, let me see. So, so what was the attraction for you then? Um, I mean, it gets to all of us, you know, yeah. and it, originally it was just, a, you know, the, um, it's just seeing the ball flying through the air, I think. It was for me. I mean, I just enjoyed that. I mean, what was it for you at the beginning? I don't know. It. I played, um, it was the summer, you know. I, I played hockey, I played badminton, I did athletics. So I played lots of winter sports. And then we had this seven-week holiday mm. in the summer. 
we had this golf course in Tain, not much else. Good golf course. Yeah, yeah, yeah not much else. So here's another sport that we can just mm-hmm. add to the add to the bag. So yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> laugh about the ball going in the air because mm-hmm. <laughs> being being Scottish and always playing links golf, the, the ball doesn't go that high in the air. Well, true enough. <laughs> but I'm, I was like you though. I started playing uh, on the little. You know, the village I grew up in had a public park, a football pitch and some area around about it. And I came up with an 18-hole course that zigzagged, you know, all over the place. And one one hole even went over the, the swings in the park. Yeah. You know, I mean, there was all kinds of nonsense when I look back at it. But that sounds familiar or similar to what you did. Absolutely. And, and I remember having a conversation with you about patting, about why my long putting so lag putting was so bad i remember that yeah yes. yeah and you said you were really good because you bowled with your granddad mm. and and i said but the, the practice putting green at tain was tiny mm. so yeah. you never really got yeah. to practice a long putt and mm. and the practice ground was really quite small so i used to hit wedges and nine irons all the time and and i was but you know when i when i was a decent golfer from kind of eighty yards in, I was I was quite deadly, but yeah. Um, but yeah, not I the sh- lag putting. Sh- when did it become clear that you, there was some talent there, and and when did you start beating your dad and your brother, which I sense would be an important line, uh, milestone? I can't, I can't remember for sure when I started to beat beat them. So so my initial target was so the follow on from dad not letting me join, did let me join. Said no, he wasn't going to buy me any clubs until it's a hard man. He is that. a hard man. I know. Yeah. So there was various clubs kind of lying around and I think somebody bought me a five iron. And so I, I a bit savvy like started three iron, a three wood and a putter um, and, and trundled on with that. Dad said, when you get down to three, I will buy you a set of clubs. Wow. So there, there was quite a challenge. <laughs> it was the challenge. At what exactly. age are you at this point? And well, so that was when I was 12 and, and cool. was a member. So I got down to three. I was still I think it was just before my 15th birthday and I got down to that. I had got another couple of clubs that nice um, relations or whatever had, had bought me, but, uh, but not dad. Um, so, so, so by that point I was lower than both, yeah. both my dad and, yeah. and my brother. Yeah, I remember the brother. passing my, my father and it was, I quite enjoyed it, I must admit. I mean, I'm sure you did too, especially being a girl. I mean, I hate to put it like that, but you know, the, Beating the boys would be something, wouldn't it? It was, it was. It was a but I think it was more knocking it past him off the tee was probably the right. the best one. Mm. So that, that probably took a little bit that? longer. Do you know I think he secretly loved it actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm I think sure it was probably would. a bit of pride there. Yeah. yeah. And you progress to the point where you're you're playing for, you know, your country the amateur level. I mean, talk me through that. I mean, what were the experiences and what were the players that you came up against? that have now moved on to bigger and better things, if you like. Yep. Um, so it was great, you know, because because I did live up in the Highlands um, and, you know, I, I had a almost like a day's travel. It'd to, be hard to get noticed, was it? To, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I think the good thing about golf then was, you know, we, we knew exactly the tournaments that we needed to go and play in. Mm-hmm. You know the thirty-six whole things, the Scottish, the Scottish girls, all all that sort of stuff. So, so from that point of view, it was it was clear you just had to go to them, you had to score well, you had to beat them in the match play events, and and that was it. And to their credit, um, you know, selectors or whatever else, they they did. You know, they yeah. didn't shy away from mm-hmm. from me being from the Highlands, but but it was a lot of travelling yeah. for for us. You know, it was that kind of extra day to mm-hmm. 
to get to anything and, and staying overnight. And and it's funny, you look back now too about all the, the protocol that we've got and disclosures and things. And, you know, I, I used to go to these events, I would get buses here or my mm. dad would drop me off and at, at golf club yeah. and I'd be staying a couple of nights with members, you know, and nobody knew who they were uh, from. Yeah. And, but off we went, you know, and, and they were great. They were great experiences and, you know, it was all, all great fun. So in terms of players, Catherine Imry um, was definitely yeah. uh, around a lot. So Fiona Anderson didn't go on particularly and, and do anything. Pam Wright, who did turn professional, yeah. Julie Forbes, yeah. turned pro again, never really went, went mm. to the US. I, Vary Mackay did. Janice Moody was, she's that wee bit younger than me. So mm. I caught this sort of start of their careers, yeah. but mm. see the biggest name is, is yeah. Katrina. And, uh, and how did you compare at that point? I mean, brag a little bit. I mean, what were you winning at, at that stage? And, and how did you compare with the ones that did go on? And was there any, ever any thought of turning pro? No, I never seriously gave turning pro a thought. I think I always knew I didn't have it. That, that mm-hmm. whatever yeah. it is, you know, yeah. well, don't think anybody's quite put I, their I finger can, on it. I can relate to that. It was the same. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, and and way back then, whatever stage that would have been, you knew you had to go to the LPGA, you had to go to the US, and you had to be really, really good. Um, and I only skirted around ever playing for Great Britain and Ireland. I never actually played. I made a training squad one year. So mm-hmm. I, I think if you're not in Great Britain and Ireland and then going Curtis Cup and, and really being yeah. top mm. within that. You you know you were a never professional the best career. player in any team, was that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. But you know, I I went out number six in the singles a few times and, you know, wagged mm. the tail. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what was the biggest thing you ever won? Um Oh, you're having to think about that. That's not a good sign. <laughs> I don't know that I really won anything. I lost in the final of the Scottish um, at Lossiemouth. Who did you beat? Who lost? Who beat you in the final again? She was Shirley Huggin. Yeah, yeah. Back then, I Shirley Lawson. Her. Yeah, yeah exactly. let's, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was probably the closest I ever got to sort of winning a, a national mm. a national event. But um, county, county sort of stuff. And yeah. um, I remember I never won the St. Rule Trophy, but uh, I... I hold my second shot on the um, 15th for a two. Um, and At the old course? At the old course, oh, yeah. yeah. And I remember at the time, so this was my, this is going back to the, the set of clubs, Ping in those days gave, if you were plus one or or better, Ping would give you a free set of, of irons. Mm. And I hold my second shot and then that brought me down that day to, Plus one, right? And I got my free set. There you go. So. There you go. Right. Enough of this playing nonsense. Um, exactly. I'm far more interested in your caddying experiences. Um, what in the God's <laughs> name made you decide to be a caddy on the European tour for the, in the first place? So Fanny Soonison was caddying at the time. She was on Faldo's bag. Right. Uh, she just yeah. She just moved on to that, and then there was a lot of intrigue around that. And at that point, I had. I'd finished my sports um, management degree and I was, was was a kind of interim job, if you like, at Ryder Golf Manufacturing. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And they were making the golf bags for whatever the Ryder Cup was going to be. 
that year that were green leather golf bags. And Willie Aitchison, who was the caddy master, was coming in. And he caddied here at Muirfield, where we are right now. He caddied for Trevino when he won here in 72. He did, exactly. And Willie was giving them some, you know, pointers and tips and feeling, you know, the weight of the bag Mm -hmm. and the balance, all that sort of stuff. And and he was still doing a little bit of caddying and was kind of caddy master on the European tour. And I I just said to Willie one day, mm-hmm. I fancy that. You know, can you can you sort a bag for me? I could come on holiday. He was mortified and he said no. But each time he came in, I said go on, go on. And he got me a bag. Um, Portugal. It was up just a course at Lisbon. It was, and I went out and I caddied. And we played with Andrew Oldcorn and he said, I'm looking for a caddy. If you want to come and do this, here you go. Here's a bag. So you and started with went. him. Mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, how did your family stroke parents react to this? Um, because without delving too deeply into stereotypes here, it's, it's, it's quite a life for a woman. I mean, it's hard enough for a man, but you know, there's certainly compromises and certainly where you can stay and all that kind of stuff. Um, as a woman, I mean, how did you, how did they react to that and how did you handle it all? My mother was mortified. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think my dad was probably quite envious, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think and most people were, but I, I suppose as with a lot of things, you know, if I'd made up my mind, this is, I quite fancy doing it all. I, I just fo- focused on the positive. Point? 21, 22. Right, yeah. Yeah. So I just focus yeah, on the positive of you, it. Well, you, if I'd been your dad, I'd have been a wee bit concerned. I'd, I'd have wanted some reassurances on a few fronts before, you know. But obviously you're old enough to do whatever whatever you want. But, um, you know, the, I can see with why they would be a wee bit worried. Yeah. Know, yeah. yeah, we were outnumbered. Yeah, um, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I have to say, <laughs> you know, all your concerns that you would have had as a dad did not... Um, you know, they, they didn't come to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was great. I had, mm-hmm. had a great time. Right. Well, talk me through. I mean, who, who did you work for? And, um, tell me about some of the traveling. I mean, every caddy's got travel stories, you know, but Billy Foster in particular is very good on that stuff. Run, run me through the list of players that you worked for. Okay. So, yeah. so Andrew Oakhorn and was, was. He wouldn't the be the easiest guy to caddy for, by the way, would he? No, mm-hmm. but. So they they go in two categories for me, I suppose, players. So lots of them are quite fiery and quite feisty. But they either take responsibility for the bad shots or the stuff that hasn't gone well, mm. or they don't. Yeah. And and I don't mind feisty and I don't mind fiery. It's it you know, it was when it was my fault that was was the harder mm-hmm. sort of stuff. This um, is when it's not your fault, but they're blaming you. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, that that's the the kind of harder bit. So Andy Ocor, he was, or Bagpuss as he was called. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember. Yeah. He's my foursomes partner in, in amateur days, by the way. So. There we go. He, he was fine. I never, and you know, I think, honestly, I think when they had a, a woman on the bag, there was an element of reining it in. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because I've I've spoken, so kind of moving on on who else I worked for. So Howard Clark, I I picked up his bag mm-hmm. well into that that sort of first season. Yeah. Um, and Fanny Sunison had worked for him yeah. before moving to mm-hmm. um, to Faldo's bag. But he was notoriously grumpy, you know. Yes. He was. He was. <laughs> Howard would tell you that, and, I'm sure. And he, yeah. and he, he has. Mm-hmm. I've, I've met him 
subsequently, you know, to caddying and um, bless him, you know, he was he was apologetic and said, you know, he looks back on it and he's mortified and yeah. and we spent a lot of time chatting and and it was lovely. It was it was it was great, you know, and, and he's talked about just actually it was horrible for him that the sort of stuff that was going on in his head as a player. Mm. And I, I think that played out for him because what a fantastic golfer mm. and a great, he did have a great career, but mm. talent wise, yeah, you know, he, he should have had a, yeah, he yeah. should have had a better career yeah. really. Um, and, and he was, he was somebody that, that would look to, to pass the blame. Mm. Um, did you learn any new swear words or did you um, know them all already? Yeah. I'm not sure that I, yeah. I did learn any new ones, to be honest. <laughs> no, I don't think I did. Um, no, I don't but think so. that's a pretty high level. I mean, Howard Clark's Ryder Cup player, multi-tournament winner, you know, what kind of won half a rung down from the Faldo, mm -hmm. Lyle, Seve group. I mean, that's you're carrying at a pretty high level there. I mean, he's a potential tournament winner every, every week. You know, that you've gravitated. You must have been reasonably good at it then. Well, I would like to think I was okay. Right. Um, yeah. I think some caddies overstate the the role of mm. the caddy yeah. and how much they influence and, and how much they've impacted on mm. a win, yeah. perhaps. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of the time it's it's just being in a you know in a in a, in a good place and being quite a positive mindset and, and quite calming in a way too you know and so that if you recognize if they need to be spoken to or not or do you just leave them to yeah. to let off steam it's not that many players that need help with lines and and yeah. such like yeah. i think a lot of caddies will tell you that they do but yeah, you know, these guys they're so good they, yeah. they know what they're doing yeah i go back and forward on on how important a caddy is and i think that the, there's basically three things correct me if i'm wrong here if, uh, that you need to be a good caddy you need a strong back, you need an ability to count, and you need a personality that's compatible with the player. And I think the third one is obviously the, the key to it all. I mean, that's you've got to make them, as you say, feel comfortable and able to play their best golf. But that I'm not sure there's much more to it than that. No. Correct, as I say, correct me if I'm no, wrong. No, I would agree, but, but at any time you can be asked something, you know, so you do need... To, you absolutely need to know what's going on and, yeah. and um, you know, and if they might just suddenly say to you, you know, I've, I've got a six in my hand, is it is it definitely a six? And, yeah. and you've got to be able to pretty quickly, with conviction, say yes. But, but equally recognising if you really do think it's a five, am I going to say five Aye. or say to them, it's a good one or mm -hmm. however you want, yeah. you know. To well, there must have been times where you got that right and you got that wrong then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, run me through a couple of them. <laughs> so the the best ever. So so I I carried for Wayne Riley radar as mm -hmm. as we all know him. I think he's um, ever medal for that. For by the way. <laughs> well, he was great. I loved Cadden for for radar. What a, what a personality. What a character. What a talented talented mm. golfer. Um, and I, I carried for him down in, well, what was the Australasian tour really yeah. then down in Australia, which was great, great fun. But when I got down there, we, we had to make our own yardage books. Oh, right. Yeah. Whereas in, in Europe, we bought these books each week and mm. caddies would, would go and get them. So they were all, all sort of made for us. So off I went with, you know, I got a wheel and 
lots of little notebooks to draw. And of course, I didn't realise how bad my art was. Uh-huh. But, you know, when I'm trying to draw greens and bunkers and get them in the right place yeah. and put any breaks and borrows and things in. Anyway, so I think I was three weeks in to Caring for Radar down in Australia. And we... I can't remember. It's like it, I can't remember exactly which course it was now, but I can still visualise the whole. And and I drawn in some trees, and I put yardage from from these trees. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, when we were out there this day, I couldn't see the tree. And I kept looking at the yardage. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't see the tree that I I needed yeah. for the yardage. And I don't know whether this was wise of me or not, but I did say to him, "I really don't think this is right," <laughs> but. You know, yeah, and he said, "Well, we'll go with it." Anyway, mm-hmm. off he went, and of course, it's soaring through the air. Probably shouldn't be admitting to this. There, there were a few people standing behind the green, and I know caddies are meant to shout for, but there was no way I was shouting for. I was really hoping for a for yeah. a foot right on there yeah. as it's um, gathering pace, and yeah, so it's it stops you know over the back of the green, but thankfully it wasn't a. Bad miss, it was fairly flat. There right. was a bit of long grass. But of course, caddies being caddies, the tee, the hole before was fairly close. As soon as they see a ball pitching over the back, they're up green side with their arms out to the side like aeroplanes, signalling back down. Nice airmail, Lindsay. Right, yeah. So so you get it as much from the caddies as you do from, from the mm-hmm. players. And I thought there and then, oh my Lord, I'm down here in Australia Three weeks in, I'm going to get the sack by the end of this round and I'm going to have to find another job. Yeah. Anyway, bless him, he didn't and won the Australian Open two weeks later. So well, happy talk, days. Talk to me about that. I mean, the, the the audience for this podcast will be well interested in the week at the Australian Open on the winning bag. Yeah. Where, um, is it Royal Melbourne? Royal Melbourne, yeah. yeah composite course. Best place. Would, would, well, I would love to go and, and actually play it. So that's that's well and truly on my bucket list. So it was a huge, it's a huge deal for Australians, the the Australian Open. There was lots of talk. And, and I, you know, was, wasn't really used to all of that, I suppose. First time down there about it, um, you know, being a major and, and it's just so important to them. And, mm-hmm. and of course, very quickly realised what a great, great golf course Royal Melbourne is. Mm-hmm. So when I was down there as well, Radar had said, like, it's far too hot here. I'm not having you carrying a big bag. I, I carried a full-size bag in, in Europe, but he didn't want me with a full-size bag. What, radar in gentlemanly gestured shock. Absolutely. My absolutely. Goodness. So off we went to the, he was ping player. Off we went to the ping warehouse whatever it was and had this little little bag so not great publicity for ping but there we go right it was there um and and it was the the sort of big shootout with robert allenby and he was he was amateur at the time anyway we get to the last day and and there was various people roger davis was was kind of up there um trying to think who who else was was making a move no no Allenby was in the group ahead of us, right. so we could see what what his score was. Um, and we get to the 14th hole, and it's all starting to play out now, and can see that we, as mm-hmm. as all good caddies say, yep. we're really in with in with a, a shout. Um, and Radar was just walking quicker and quicker and quicker, you know, and and, and I could see that he was. Was was just 
not getting agitated. It wasn't anything, you know, he was still hitting the ball well, still not really holding that many putts. And, and I, I was recognising, a bit like what I was saying to you earlier about recognising the moment that you need to say something, you need yeah. to sort of do something. And I'm frantically trying to think, I need to say something, but what's going to be a calming thing to say rather than something that I'm going to, you know, yeah. get a scalp on the head or whatever. Yeah. And so I'm sort of trying to keep up. And I said, look, we're getting down to the wire here. This this could be really, really special. How about we just slow down a little bit and make sure that we savour it and remember it? Yeah. And, you know, so so that was that was what came to my head as being something that, that might not sort of prompt a reaction that wasn't yeah. positive. Yeah. Anyway. He's hyper at the best of times. Well, he is, yeah. he is. But, you know, and, and, and he did, to his credit, you know, off, off, off we went and then the I should really know the holes really well and I can't remember if it's 15 or 16 is a par 3 and then on the practice days there's um, I suppose it's a kind of almost like a kidney shape green and there's a, there's a massive bunker front left and so the the front of the green for a left hand pin is about 10, 12 up the green because of this massive bunker yeah. and he'd said to me on the practice, you know, so and I'm, you know, with my um, homemade yardage book, which I still have actually. And he'd said, the flag will be back left on the last day. I don't want a yardage to, you know, I, I don't want that front over the bunker. I'm going to play middle of the green. Right. So I, I'm doing as I'm told. We get round there. And so I read out my yardage, front, flag. No, I want the flag. Mm. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here, we yeah. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. And I kind of looked at him, didn't really say very much, but kind of pulled that face. Are you sure? And yeah, absolutely. So, you know, he went at it and hit it beautifully and and, and it was all it was all fine and, and on we moved. And then we get a hole on and, and Allenby was starting to 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 make birdies and and you know, so 17's a par five, knew that was, and it was downwind, so knew that there was was a birdie opportunity, you know, and, and I'm sort of saying, come on, let's let's just get this tee shot away and, and give ourselves a chance. And um, and I didn't say that Alby's an amateur and you, you kind of got this in the back, you know, mm. but, but as a caddy, I'm definitely thinking... He was a pretty special amateur, by money. the way. Well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. but in terms of mm. prize money, yeah. it, yes. it's going to be radars. There you go. You know? yeah. And I'm a caddy, I'm thinking about You're my thinking 10%. The money. Exactly. Right. Um, and and he obviously could, could tell, and he said, I want to win this. I, you know, it's, yeah. I'm not coming second amateur or, mm. or anybody. Mm. Um, so birdied from, got from nowhere, um, 17, and hold a monster putt. On eighteen, yeah. and he how was. How long was it? Oh gosh, because um, this is famous in Australian golf. This putt, you know. Oh, is it? Oh, I yeah. don't know how long. You, I you, mean, it must be. I mean, twenty five, thirty feet. It must be. Oh, I mean, it was. Yeah. It was. Well, it's not ridiculous, then. It's, no, it's, but, but it's, it's on the last you know, hole. It was, oh, yeah, fair. I mean, it was <clears> pin high. It was the right club, which is good mm-hmm. from McCaddy's point yeah, of yeah. view. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I remember having a conversation about you know and trying to gauge how fired up. He was, you know, and that's, and I suppose going back again about what you said about what caddies can do, that that can be quite hard yeah. to, you know, and, and look at a lie and go, is that a flying lie or or yeah. is it not? And, yeah. and where the adrenaline is is mm-hmm. taking you. Yeah. 
yeah, and he he just not long moved to the you know to the long putter. Right. So he's running about this green with this big long putter, you know, kind of, and it was just. Uh, Oh, so special. It was amazing. Did yeah. you read the putt at all? No, you, no I never no. read um, read the greens with, no. with Reid. I mean, he would, I suppose sometimes he would he would maybe just ask for for kind of affirmation of, mm. of his yeah. decision. But no, no, he he did it all. Mm-hmm. And um, did you get your 10%? What, what was, can you tell us what the figure was? I can. So he won 126,000 Aussie dollars and I got 12,600 Aussie dollars. Very nice. Yeah. What did you spend the money on? It got banked for quite a long time. Oh, how dull. I know. Goodness I know. me. Well, because. That's your Presbyterian Scottish upbringing. Wasn't it? Well, yeah. well, because straight after that, that was, that's when they had the Johnny Walker World I can't even remember what it was mm. called. Yeah. And so th- so that was the last qualifying event for in Jamaica. Right. So off we went to, to Jamaica. Jamaica. <laughs> right. Happy days, the week mm. before Christmas. So, you know, this this my first ever trip to Australia just uh, got better and better and mm. came back on the IMG charter from from Jamaica back with Nick Faldo and whoever else was on that flight and all the IMG and yeah. I thought I was the bee's knees. Tiff Tough Hybrid Bermuda means less work and more play. Tough by name and by nature, this turf variety supplied exclusively by Lawn Solutions Australia is the perfect choice for your home lawn. With superior drought tolerance, speedy recovery and toughness, Tiff Tough really is the smart grass. For more information and to find your nearest accredited supplier, head to lawnsolutionsaustralia.com.au. Well, the, there's a social side to being a caddy, I'm sure. I mean, are, are there any tales from, you know, bars, um, nightclubs that you can share with us? Now, now that you're a, you know, a you know, very staid married woman, you know, I'm sure John won't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so the night of... The win at the Australian Open. Um, Radar uh, was was pretty good mates with Dermot Brereton, who a lot of your listeners will will know was Hawthorne, which is Aussie Rules football. Right. Of course, I had never, well, I had no idea about Aussie Rules. Neither. I yeah. had no idea who <clears throat> Dermot Brereton. Anyway, he was walking round with Radar, you know, a, a mate, and and I could see that there was obviously a fair bit of interest. Certainly from the female community right. with with Dermy. I think he maybe had a mullet actually when I think back now. But anyway. Mm. And so so we were in Melbourne and he had an he owned a nightclub in Melbourne. So this little entourage of radars, friends and some other players and some other caddies. So it was right, we're gonna go on to this nightclub. And of course, blokes maybe don't think about this, and I'm thinking Okay, I'm looking particularly great. I've got my caddy and trainers on, whatever jeans I had on, and my Heineken caddies t-shirt, <laughs> which uh, looking great. Yeah. And off we went to the nightclub, and we got ushered in mm-hmm. the VIP side, and all these women that were all glammed up are kind of looking over, going, <laughs> "How's she getting in? But why would you want to go into that nightclub looking like that?" But it um, it didn't. It didn't hinder me in well, any way. Two or three way. drinks in, you wouldn't even remember that. You know? Well, I know I don't know that. I do remember an awful lot more. Um, I do remember. Uh, so this was my first exposure to Australian culture, and I do remember. And, and it wasn't it wasn't a caddy, um, but 
some bloke going up to a young lady that had, had quite a low top on and felt inclined to pop his face into her cleavage and say, you're looking good, sweetheart. That yeah. certainly opened my eyes. Interesting approach. Yeah. Yep. Did it work? I, I, quick, <laughs> I quickly headed off in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sent me off into blind panic. Yeah. Was that the first tournament you'd ever won as a caddy? No. I was on Brian Marchbank's bag when he won the Equity in Law Challenge. Oh, Mid-Surrey? Yes. So um, tell me about that. <laughs> I don't I can remember an awful... So I think... I th- I seem it was to only remember. A 36 hole thing, it wasn't was it? a thirty-six yeah. hole, mm. and I, th- I think there was a special format to it. I think it was a kind of birdie chase. It was a points thing. Yes, wasn't it? it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that doesn't count. Come on. You well, it was good fun. He was he was <laughs> shooting lots of birdies. So yeah. so yeah. So that was my first, my first win. Um, and so the Australian Open really w- was the only the only win. Mm-hmm. That, that was a big deal. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Something to look back on. I mean. Especially now, I mean, you think, God, I mean, did I really do that? Is there a sense of that about it? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was just great to be part of that and and share just the excitement and mm. and that coming down the stretch and looking a little bit at, at scoreboards and knowing what you've got to do, but not getting ahead, you know, and staying in the staying in yeah. the moment and mm. you know just one shot at yeah. a time. Do you think it made you a better player? Seeing golf at that level. I think my way around the golf course differently. Mm. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Not always before the shot has been struck, but, but yeah, I, I, I do think mm-hmm. about it. You know, you think about where you want to leave yourself a bit, a bit more rather than, mm. you know, before I would just kind of hit it and go, Oh, I wish I hadn't left that out yeah. right or, yeah, yeah. or yeah. whatever. D- no, definitely. And, and another time I was caddying at Woburn. Um, for Scottish guy Peter Smith and he was just going out early for a practice round and so we're standing on the first tee and then we could hear chink chink of some clubs so another player was coming looking to to sort of join up and it was Seve which was was pretty special and and Peter would admittedly say that his his sort of short game wasn't his best you know chipping Mm. around well, who better to get a lesson? Yeah. So, of course, I took that moment to to kind of, you know, when he was sort of talking to, to Peter about uh, my abiding memory about Seve was his knees. When he was in bunkers, he just, his knees were so flexed. Uh, you know, he always yeah. had his legs really, yeah. you know, and you could see him sort of bouncing up and down. And um, and it was the same for all sorts of shots around the greens was, was you know, I think, I think he was kind of saying to Peter, you know, you stand so upright, you know, you're never, you're never going to do anything, yeah, you know, it yeah. just, that's why we kind of pull out a wedge and sort of just. You think savvy. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was, that was, it. and, and what a lovely, lovely man. He gave Peter so much time on that practice round. You know, you could, mm. you know, when he teed it up on short hole, well, and, and any tee shot really. And he would say, you know, so why have you gone to that side? Of the tea, what what are you thinking? What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, and and he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't selfish about his mm-hmm. knowledge and experience. You know, he was just so happy to share it with so many people, which yeah. was was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. What other big name players did you come up close to as a caddy? You must have seen most of them caddying for Howard Clark. He would get some good draws. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, certainly Europe. So. There wasn't a huge amount of Americans would come over. I only caddied one open, uh, mm. and that was that was Peter Smith. Um, I who was that? 
That was Burkdale. What year? Oh, no, it was Lytham. Sorry, it was Lytham. Easy to forget. I know. Yeah. Yeah. What year would that be? Mm, Early 90s, can't remember Um, which year it would be. 96 was Lytham, Tom Lehman, the one before that. 88 with Seves, that would okay, be the so previous no, it must one. have been Burkdale then. It must yeah. have been. It's easy to get those things mixed well, up, Lindsay. Well, you know, the, the one open you caddied in and I know, you can't even remember the golf course. I can't, I'll tell you why <laughs> I can't remember. Because you didn't get, as a caddy, you were just in, you didn't get near the clubhouse. You didn't get, and it no, just, he, yeah. he didn't make the cut. And, yeah, things have and, changed a bit since then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it was, I wasn't really, meant to have been caddying for him. It was the week before at the Scottish was when I stopped working for Howard. Uh, what um, happened there? <laughs> that that was a difficult round. We were <laughs> we were drawn with Faldo and Fanny was on the bag mm-hmm. and there was a rain delay and we came back out and I was I was getting the brunt end for Marshall putting up a quiet please sign which caused a reflection in the puddle that was close to Howard's ball, <laughs> which caused distraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see how you would get the blame for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt that was that was maybe time to move on as yeah. I... So it was your decision, was it? It was you my decision. Howard. I popped the clubs in the back of the Ferrari and I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be at the Open next week. That was a big thing to give up the Open. Yeah, it was. I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore, mm-hmm. you know, being on the end of of that sort of level of blame um mm. it was just it was too contrived and and uh, as i said to his credit he he recognized that mm. and and was very apologetic so you were making a living at this I mean, you could have kept going I'm i could have yes i mean what sort of level of income if you if i can ask you that it's your business really but what sort of, how what money were you making gosh hard to well so the twelve and a half Aussie dollar a thousand Aussie dollars I got that would have been what six seven thousand you know for for that week. Mm. Um, what was your normal rate? So I I think I was I was getting deals. yeah exactly and so from a travelling perspective I was always paid quite well and I I took the decision that I would spend my wage on a flight mm. and on somewhere decent enough to stay mm. yeah. um, rather than, you know, so I wasn't one of those caddies that was in an old banger yeah, driving from, caddies. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, I never, mm. never did that. So well, that's a pity. He would have enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe not. No, maybe, yeah. Not. Yeah. maybe not. So, yeah, so I was quite lucky. And I think I was maybe getting paid 300, 350 a week. And then, well, we got back then, players that I worked for, it was 10% of a win, seven and a half, top 10 and 5% of, of anything else. Right. So it's pretty standard. Yeah. 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 Um, and what brought it to a, a close for you? When did you stop and why? So I did three seasons mm-hmm. um, and I, I set out really only to do one season as... Just as an know, adventure really. Well, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people go off on gap years yeah. um, mm-hmm. and do worthy building, help mm-hmm. build schools and toilets. Yes. Um, mine took a different sort of yeah. route, <laughs> yeah. shall we say. So I ended up doing three seasons. I think largely because, you know, going down to Australia was was just such great fun. And then 
you know, and I came back and I, I sort of finished off really working with Radar for that season. And I, I knew then it was it was time. And, and, and I thought I probably could play a little bit more golf in and around it. And you really can't. I mean, we mm. used to get fined if you got caught putting on the putting green no. or chipping yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, I missed, I missed playing. Radar and I played in the Sunningdale foursomes. Ah. That season, which was was great fun to do, mm-hmm. we won one round and then and then sadly lost in the second round. But right. on the we won on the old and then right. lost so on the new. You were obviously playing at still a decent level then. I mean, did that, that must have had an impact on your golf, as you say, if you didn't play that much in those three years. I mean, did you play for Scotland again after? I did. You did. Yeah, right. yeah. So I came back and it took a while to get get back into it, and then and then just sort of played all the the various tournaments that I needed to and Scottish mm-hmm. and such like and yeah. People that played at that level, I've been one of them, you've always got somebody that you beat that went on to bigger and, as I say, bigger and better things. Have you got somebody like that? I mean, I, I, I'm going to brag for a second. I, I once beat Gordon Brand Jr. in the Scottish Amateur. What, what would be your your moment? Or is there one? You're looking at me as if there isn't one. Come on. I know. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that there was. When I did come back from caddying, I played Beanie, um, Katrina, in I think we were at Prestwick St Nicholas or yeah one in the Scottish mm-hmm. and and as I say this was me just back from carding and I was I was probably two up with I don't know, six to play right. and and I lost mm-hmm. but you know and I I should have won yeah. but I I wasn't much fit no wasn't much no fit, but but, uh, but she was always classier yeah um, but no I don't know that I ever head to head beat anyone that went on and did anything. I'm trying to think of any of the English girls and maybe some of the home internationals and, and such like, but mm. nobody of particular. It is, I'm you sorry. Uh, yeah. you, you've gone down in my estimation, suddenly, you know. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> let's move on from the caddy. And I think your 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 new life, if I can call it that, is uh, we're, we're sitting here in the clubhouse at Muirfield the week of the um, British Women's Open. Uh, or the Women's Open, I should say. They don't use the word British, but... And you're a member. You're a member of the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers. Uh, oh. Run me through that process. How did that come about first? Well, it came about from, as I suppose a lot of people know, the the vote ultimately that was, was yes to admit women members, which, you know, what what a great result that was and, and a, a great thing to happen and and well I live in Edinburgh which is just up the road mm-hmm. uh, and also a member at, at Gullen um, which is right next door and so when when they admitted women didn't know a huge number of members here um, but there's there, there was one member who who's a sort of family friend and shortly after after the vote and he he sort of said was he your proposer Yes, yeah, and he said, "You know, is it something that you would be interested in, Lindsay? Because you can't, you can't apply for membership. You, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be invited to, yeah. mm-hmm. which, which is is always an amusement for for a lot of people. But actually, having gone through the process, um, I would say I'm an advocate of it because the, the club has got its um, nuances." And, you know, it's a foursomes club. And, and actually, if you just want to come here, play with your friends and play your own ball, it's not, it's not the place for you. You know, you mm. won't get out of the club 
everything that there is to get out of it. Right. You know, you won't enjoy it to any great extent. So, so that's why I think they they acknowledge their history, their tradition, and and want to maintain that within still within you know trying to modernise and and keep up with today. So, mm. so I was lucky enough that that somebody did. And when did um, you get in? So we're twenty uh, last summer, uh, July twenty twenty one. And well, what's it like to be a member? This is it's it's a basic question, but it seems the obvious one. Yeah. So the obvious is the golf course. Mm. It's I can play that when whenever I want, which is I mean, it's phenomenal. It's that might be, I think it might be the best course to, in the world. Well, you know, according to a lot people of people, think it, it is. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, and it's it's just down the road. And as you say, we're looking out over it now, and it just is stunning. Um, so that is, you know, it's just an absolute privilege to be able to do that. But but equally, the club and the membership is, it's just, it's fantastic. They're, they're so friendly. I mean, I know it's it's been called the opposite by by a lot of people, but mm. but actually... Um, that the membership is incredibly inclusive and and friendly, and it's. Um, but also, what's lovely about it is, you go out and you play, and if if you play in a club match or or something that you've organised from a dinner, there's lots of chat about the golf, but nobody's interested in. Oh, I was really unlucky at the third. It just rolled into the right hand bunker. All yeah. the stuff that we all roll our eyes at and go, oh, how yeah. boring is this person? Mm. But they want to hear stories, but. But something with a bit of humour to it, so so that's really really refreshing, mm-hmm. um, and just just great fun. Describe for the people who might not be as familiar with it. I mean, I know a bit about it. Um, the social side of being a member, you know, the dinner matches and that kind of thing, which is a kind of old fashioned concept, but it still goes on here and it seems to work. It does, it mm-hmm. does. So so what's so what's interesting? I think at the moment, um, when you look at what's going on. With, with golf and we were talking about growing the game of golf and you know and the r you know are, are talking about that around now but but equally it's it has got a long history and tradition and, and I don't think we should forget about preserving the game of golf either you know that's mm. that's important and and a lot of golf clubs are are struggling in the clubhouses you know the members don't go in and you know just play their golf and jump in the car and they drive back home again mm-hmm. I I was down here a couple of weeks ago and because I've been involved with, with the AIG Women's Open and, and we were looking just to have a, a kind of quick sandwich lunch, you know, to take in to, to the room where we had the meeting and they said, oh, God, you know, sorry, it could take a wee while. We've got 90 people for lunch today. Hmm. That's members. Yeah. That's members that have been out yeah. playing golf. Oh. And that's, so that's just on a members day and there's this big tradition about yeah. coming in and, and they talk about two and a half hours for golf, two and a half hours for lunch, and then another two and a half hours, yeah. you know, to go back out. Well, it's an old line, but they, they once described to me by who was a member here. He said it was it's a lunch club with a golf course attached. And a, a lot, some truth to yeah, that. Isn't yeah, it? no, absolutely. A lot of members do talk about that mm. and and do see it as that. But over and above that sort of golf, that there is, um, I don't know how many club dinners there are throughout the year, but these are black tie dinners mm-hmm. and you know, formal events, but. When you arrive and and have some drinks beforehand, you've got you go either with your diary or your your bit of paper with the dates that you're available, and you organise club matches, mm-hmm. and you try to get so there's no there's no shots um, for any of these club matches, right. and you have to try and get 
you know, a, a like match. So obviously th- these are 36 hole foursomes matches and you, you arrange these at, at the club dinner and you've got to arrange them and play them before the next dinner. Right. And so as, as a new member, once you've organized these, at, these matches, you stand up at the dinner once everybody sits down and you ask, ask the captain, um, if he will give your approval for for playing that match, <laughs> and and then everybody bets on these matches. Ah, right. Okay. So, is there, is there a league table for these matches, unofficial <laughs> or official? <laughs> well, well, what there is is every single club match that has been played and is recorded, and it goes way back to 1744, and they're they're handwritten um, in mm-hmm. in beautiful writing and ink and fountain pens and so so there is that that tradition to it, but boy they're competitive mm. um, and especially you know off off scratch. Um, yeah. So yeah. are you winning most of them? Um, no, no. no. Well, can you beat most of the men? I would imagine you beat most of them, but not all. There'll be well, a few I'm, good players here, I'm sure. Yes, mm. yes, there are, but. Mm-hmm. There's also coping with that that pressure. You you know the caddies have bet yeah. on it. You know that members that were at the dinner have bet. So uh-huh. so there is you know there's a bit of expectation. So yeah. I've I have found this this new pressure on my golf, which which is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. It's also a work in progress having a couple of glasses of wine at lunch yes. and going out and playing yeah. golf, mm-hmm. having never done that as a yeah. kind of playing amateur. So yeah. that's new. Well, I once played here for when I was at. Stirling University, we had a match against the Honourable Company, foursomes in the morning, the lunch, and then yep. foursomes in the afternoon. And we did all right in the morning. Mm-hmm. We were, it was quite close at lunch and they just got us tanked up over lunch. And I can remember driving off the first tee over there and not feeling the ball come off the club. <laughs> and we got murdered in the afternoon. I mean, these guys knew what they were doing. Mm. They, they've mm-hmm. got they've got form on that, mm-hmm. uh, particularly university sides, and because because yeah. all the, the young guys they come over and they're loving it because you know they say there's no such thing as a free lunch and there isn't because they yeah. win the match, yeah. don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, what else? What other aspects of the club culture, if you like, would would be interesting to people or surprise people or surprised you? Well, you get a f- you, as somebody. So so the process to being elected as a member isn't. It's not overly quick. So you do, you, you start to get an insight to that, you know, because you come and play with, with various members and then mm. they all write letters of support for you. So you start to get a, a bit of a feel. I probably didn't get as much as other people because of COVID. And so there was a lot of restrictions about being able to have lunch and, and, and all of that. I think they're just, they're genuinely interested in, you as a person, you know, it's not, it's not just about, about golf, you know, and they'll, but, but people really are, yeah, like I say, sort of keen to meet you as a member and, and to know who other members are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's nice, you know, some people might call it a, a bit old fashioned, but, but actually when you look at what we've been through around COVID and isolation and not seeing people and, and some of the, mental health or otherwise struggles, this is a place where, you know, I'm sure there's people that have been widowed and they come regularly and they'll have their lunch mm. and they just have this blanket of friendship around all mm. these other members that, you know, makes their day. Yeah. How have they handled, I mean, I've just written a story about it, so I 
I was really quite impressed with what the, how they've handled the the aftermath of the first vote and all the rest of it. I mean, they've really made a big effort to be more inclusive and certainly in gender stakes. Um, how do you think that job has been done? And what's been your experience of it? So, and I how think, much have you played a role in that? Yeah. So, I, I think. I mean, obviously, I wasn't wasn't here back in in twenty thirteen, the open. But I think a lot of the members would say they were surprised at the backlash um, when when there was the mm. the no vote. And, and it was global. It was, and I, I think they were surprised that that people bothered, cared, whatever you want to call that, and realised, okay, we've we've got a role to play mm-hmm. um, in all of this. And then following from all of that and, and really looking at themselves as a club, as a membership, how they portrayed themselves to, you know, to the wider public, they realised that actually they hadn't, they'd let the media, I think remember somebody saying to me, they'd, they'd let the media just fill the gaps. They didn't speak to the media yeah. and they let them fill the gaps yeah. how they wanted yeah. to. So they, they made walking their stories. cliches and stereotypes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So decided on, I, I suppose, a, partly on the back of being awarded the Edgy Women's Open, you know, coming here, thought, okay, we, we've we got a story to tell and we have got this great golf course. We've also got this great golf club that is steeped in, in history. You know, the Honourable Company paid a third of the Claret Jug. You know, it's it's got a huge, we've got down there, we've got the oldest trophy that there is in golf. We've got the... Um, it was the Honourable Company that wrote the first 13 article mm-hmm. rules of golf, you know, so they've, they've got a massive role to play and decided, okay, we're going to invite the media in and we've, we don't have any skeletons now, you know, that mm-hmm. w- we've included women. Come and see for yourself at, at what, what we've done. And, and women members are, are just, you know, we go to dinners, we play in, this, the same events as, you know, as the men, we play in these club matches and please do come and see mm. and see for yourselves yeah. and, and tell the world. Yeah. I think we've now reached a stage where, you know, the, where we are right this minute was the, the, the stories that were written, mine included, had to include a look back at what had been before. But from now on, that's been done. You know, the, to me, they'll, they'll be looking forward far more than looking back. Which is clearly what they want, and and as I say, I've been impressed by everything. They've been if they're if they're not doing what they're saying, they're very good actors. The people I've talked to, you know, yeah, it seems sincere. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah. and and I would concur with that. You know, once once the decision was was taken, it was right. Well, if we're going to do this, as they do everything else here, we're going to do it properly, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be tokenism. It's if if we're going to have women members, they've got to be members just the way anybody else yeah. is, and we're and that's why we're not called women members. No. We're we're just members, yeah, just the same as as anybody else. Yeah. How, how does your husband feel about your membership? I mean, I, I have have to add, and I know John. Uh, he was at university at the same time as me, the same university. So I, um, I'm interested to hear what his reaction has been to all of this. He, I think. Um, He's delighted. He's absolutely delighted. And, and, you know, there's probably an element of, of pride of his wife getting in in one of the, the first few. Mm. Um, it's not a bad gig for him either. No, um, yeah. you know, we, mm-hmm. we can toddle down of an evening when, you know, 
not a breath of wind, the sun's shining and, and go out and play, as you say, as a lot of people think, one of the best golf courses in the world. So mm-hmm. there, there are no downsides um, to it, really. Mm-hmm. We're getting close to the finish of this. Um, we've covered, uh, you know, the, the different aspects of your life. Um, what's, what's next? Is there anything next? Yes, there is. Mm. I am going to work harder at my long putts. <laughs> when yeah. this when this tournament <laughs> is over, I'm going to dedicate practice time to getting my. Well, there's a lovely putt. practice putting exactly. green out there. It's perfect. Exactly. There's that. no excuse. Yeah, no excuse. Yeah, I remember that. You know, in mixed foursomes and days gone by. Been a little bit uh, worried when I ever I left it thirty five feet from the hole, shall we say? <laughs> and yeah, I, some anyway. some of the looks that I maybe got from Howard Clark were akin to the look on your yeah, face. Yeah, when well, I've left it, was it just fear, mostly. But, uh, anyway, on that happy note, uh, Lindsay, thank you very much for your time. It's been enjoyable talk. Pleasure, thank you. Two perspectives we don't really hear enough of wrapped up in one interview there. Excellent stuff from John Huggan and Lindsay Garden. Now, I hope you've made sure to press the follow button in your favourite podcast app because on our next episode, we're taking a look at how golf can play an important role in improving the lives of people with dementia and other debilitating conditions. The experience can actually take place just on a putting green at practice areas, so you don't have to have that full, what we would call golf experience. Mm you can tailor it to the individual as they go through their challenge with their diagnosis so that you can keep it in their lives for longer. And I think golf is perfectly placed because it's a sport you can enjoy from cradle to grave. And as I say, Rod, till you pop your clothes. That's Tony Blackburn from England's Golf in Society next time on The Thing About Golf. <laughs>